Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adoption Hacks. I've got to interview a lot of people in this show, but this is my most exciting one yet, the biggest get I think we've had on this show. Uh, welcome to the show, my husband, Anthony Laycock. Hackheads, what's up? I am so glad to be here on Adoption Hacks. I've been a hacker since day one. <laughs> Anthony's been really supportive and great. He's done everything um, on our social media that looks good, <laughs> and he created the Adoption Hacks graphic. So he's been a big part of the show, even though this is your first time hearing him. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear uh, some of his insights about adoption. Yeah, long time, long time listener. Glad to be a part of it. I don't know that I bring a lot of expert advice, but I do have a lot to say. I like to run my mouth. So uh, <laughs> let's talk. So uh, the questions we're going to be answering today were sent in from listeners. So we're going to go through as many as we can get through and uh, hope you all enjoy. So thank you to everybody who sent those in. Okay, first one. We're starting off with a bang. You ready? Yep, bang, bang. Okay. <laughs> all right. Is it okay to take the first step with adoption or foster care if you're still not sure about it or have a lot of fears? Okay, this is a great question. Um, and I think this is something that... Anyone who's adopted relates with because, because like anything, you need a little bit of information and experience when you make decisions. I know Candace and I, even when we were dating, we knew we wanted to adopt someday. Um, but even that was rooted in experiences and information. I had seen my sister adopt. I had been to several, several orphanages um, on missions trips and seen the state of just the global orphan crisis and um, and so even though we both knew we wanted to adopt, that was formed out of a lot of experience and insight. You need to get as much information as you can and to have experiences. And part of the adoption journey, um, once you say like, hey, I, I want to take the first step, is fact finding and just getting some info. So you don't have to have it all together to dip your toe in the pool. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, that's the only way that you can that you can learn insights and uh, information that you need is by getting in the pool. Um, I realize that people, there are some people who come to their adoption journey with their whole plan sketched out. Um, but what you need to know is that those people, they're going to do a lot of erasing and redreaming along the way. Um, there is no adoption journey that you can just approach and have all your T's crossed and I's dotted knowing what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't exist. That's not how it works. So if you have a lot of question marks and, um, and kind of empty space in your adoption plan, that's fine um, because you're going to fill that in along the way. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. And even with us knowing, going through an adoption with, uh, with our first Korean adoption, going into a second one, we thought, okay, we know exactly how this is going to go. <laughs> yeah, we're pros now. <laughs> and then, you know, that all got ripped to shreds. So it's, you're always learning and always growing in this. Yeah, if you, if you don't know, we were planning to adopt uh, a second time from India and 23 months into that adoption, it got disrupted and we stepped away from the program we were in. So yeah, it, it's never, it's never an exercise in exactness or certainty. It's an exercise of faith and hope. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Let's go on to number two. What happened? This is a really practical question. What happens first? Home study agency, placement ag agency, what do you need to have done or get ready before that first step? And I would say uh, you definitely need to know your placement agency first. 
because especially with big agencies like uh, Holt, I know for sure, I think Bethany does this too, they have certain home study agencies they want you to use. So you don't want to spend any time finding that home study agency before that. But you can definitely be researching home study agencies, uh, calling them, asking them questions before, you know, while you're in that pre-stage. As far as what you need to have done or get ready before that first step, you definitely need to, like Anthony was saying for that first question, have some education. I think talking, like sitting down with an adoptive family is huge beforehand uh, so you can get some, mm-hmm. some answers to your questions and just have somebody walking alongside of you. Uh, during those steps. Krista Jordan's workbook, Before You Adopt, I think is huge because that can help you answer some questions and give you a little layout of what your journey is going to look like. Yeah, for sure. And this is kind of tying back into question number one as well. But go to your county's monthly foster care meeting. If you're uh, wherever you're living, um, it's a good chance that the government has in place Uh, like a first step information type gathering that happens on an ongoing basis. Go to that. Just listen and ask questions. Cold call some adoption agencies and just say, hey, I may adopt someday. Talk to me about it. Um, Go on. It's the information age. Go on the internet and just go to some websites of adoption agencies and read a little bit about their programs. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as financial, a lot of people think you have to have a bank account with $30,000 in it before you can even take that first step. But that's not true. As long as you have a financial plan and have something ready to go, maybe a fund has begun and you have a plan to do fundraising and a plan to apply for grants. As long as you have a plan uh, and a way that you can do that, you can start without being fully funded. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're starting fully funded, you're an God bless you, but (laughs) that is not the normal adoption experience. Number three, if you had friends or family unsupportive, how did you react or wish you reacted? I think that since adoption was already part of the blueprints of my um, extended family, a lot like my parents and my brother and sister and grandparents and aunts and uncles, they were already a little bit familiar with um, international adoption. And so... I think my sister and some other people had kind of answered those questions and had those interactions before me. Um, But I think it's always important when you're clearly communicating uh, something you're doing with your family or something that matters. It's important to connect what you're doing with why you're doing it. Um, Show them that your motivations are rooted in your values. So you're not talking so much about the thing you're doing. You're talking about the belief behind it, why it's necessary, why it's important. Um, I think, I think this way about like uh, everything in life. If someone asks you, if someone were to ask you something like, why are you getting solar panels put on your roof? Um, you're probably not going to say, oh, we, we think our home looks better this way, or we always imagined our future home having solar panels on it, or it's going to save us $11 a month in the long run or whatever. You're probably going to say, uh, because we are tired of seeing animals going extinct and ice caps melting and the environment being damaged and we want to do something for renewable energy. You'll probably say something like that, something that, that connects to the emotion and the belief that lies underneath. Um, I know a few years ago I was in Liberia and I visited a very rural orphanage 
and it was hard to access. And when we got there, we found 30 kids living inside with um, caregivers. And we did a little tour of their um, like their site, and it was just a concrete slab and like brick building. They had nothing. They had metal frames for their beds, like metal bunk bed frames, no mattresses. So some kids were sleeping on metal frames and then some kids were just sleeping on the floor on the concrete. So we were like, obviously we have to do something about this immediately and let a charge to finance mattresses for the whole, the whole building. Um, we did it in like a couple weeks back in the United States and sent the money. Uh, I actually ordered the mattresses. I got people to drive them up to where it was. And, um, and you know, I shared information about that and I, Nobody asked me, why are you doing this? Why would you do that? Because it was all about the need. It was all about, um, you know, our, our values are that people are cared for and they have their basic needs. Um, if, you, if you're able to communicate that you want to give an orphan or a, a vulnerable child a home or temporary care or whatever, whatever you're looking to do, and someone in your family doesn't understand that or support that, but you've com- clearly communicated the values behind it, then and they still don't get it, then their values are different than yours. And you should just challenge their values and challenge their worldview. Um, you might not be that much of a challenger and want to be that confrontational, and you don't have to be, but I would be. I would say, well, why wouldn't we do this? Um, so yeah, I guess that's my my response. I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of empathy for people who lack compassion and lack grace mm-hmm. when there are people suffering and people with needs around us. I love how you tied that in with the solar panels. I think that's a great <laughs> yeah. illustration. Thing I do agree with Anthony that if people don't get it, I think it's because they don't understand it. And so you know, it's up to you whether you are able to or want to take that time and walk them through it. But um, like I had a friend early on who, when we told her we were adopting, she said, oh, well, I heard it takes so long because there are so many celebrities that want to adopt that people just have to wait around for a kid who needs to be adopted. And I was shocked and, first of all, offended that she would think that. Um, But then I took the time to explain to her how many orphans there are, what the need is like, and that that information she had gotten is is incorrect so once she realized that it totally shifted how she looks so I'm a big fan of you know educating talking through getting to the bottom of of why they maybe are resistant to you doing it but and bringing some education that's good yeah and I also I've experienced some people who have heard a a horror story Mm -hmm. that someone's gone through and so like they've written off foster care and adoption as a whole because of one bad experience they heard about. And anybody that lives with that type of mindset, there's a lot of flaws in it. And you can just kind of hit that immediately and talk about the value behind it. So I would say, okay, if you get food poisoning, are you never going to eat again? Because you got food poisoning one time or is food important and, and nutrition important? Mm-hmm. Um, I say that to, to folks that have a bad experience with church. Well, I had a bad experience at church I was hurt by somebody. I was offended, so I'm never going to church again. Um, that makes no sense when you look at the reason behind something or the why, the value there. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody writes off adoption as an excuse uh, with the excuse of some bad experience someone had, um, you got to point to, hey, it's worth it. It's worth overcoming the bad experiences 
for the cause or the need behind things. Yeah, and I see that. I hear that sometimes with people talking to their parents that would be the child's grandparents. And there's sort of a protective attitude that comes out where they want to protect their children of any hurt that they can be inviting into their lives. And so uh, talking through those things is huge. And, you know, like Anthony said, if you talk through it and they still aren't supportive, then move on. They'll get there. Give them time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Time is huge. Next question. What do you know now that you wish you knew before you started your adoption journey? I would say the only thing I wish I would have known then um, that I know now is just how great it was going to be, how happy our family was going to be, and how just how much our son loves being our son. If I would have, I, I think I always believed that that would, that would happen, and uh, the only outcome was going to be a great, healthy family um, and a healthy child. But if I would have really known the extent of just the beautiful like family that we're blessed with, then I think I would have been even more gung-ho to get started and to pursue uh, the life we have now. I would just echo what you said in that first question, that you don't have to know it all before you begin. I love to research and have a plan and know exactly what's going to happen. And I wish it would have been a little bit more ready to jump in without understanding all the aspects of it. Um, All right, next question. What were some expectations, good or bad, you had about adoption, and were they true? Yeah, I I was hopeful that people would partner with us and support us. We were kind of in a financial position where we couldn't just uh, write a big check and pay for the adoption, and I was really, really happy to see that happen. Um, I mean, people we didn't even expect or didn't even – people we hadn't talked to since, like, middle school – had emerged through social media and were just blessing us. And that was, I think that was something I expected, but it went beyond my expectations. Excuse me. Some of the hard stuff, I I would say, you know, each, I've heard this about social workers, that every social worker in the adoption world is either going to be like a realist and tell you, uh, not sugarcoat anything and tell you, hey, it might take this long. They won't tell you what your itching ears want to hear, but they'll be very realistic with you. And then sometimes it might go faster than that, or it might it might happen uh, differently than that, and it's a blessing. But then there's social workers that will tend to lean on the side of how quick it could be, how easy it could be. Um, and we definitely experienced that, and this is our third adoption process, we've experienced a little bit of that um, in the past. And I didn't expect the communication to be so frustrating at times. Um, and I'm fine saying that here on the air. Uh, just just sometimes I would I felt misled mm-hmm. or I felt like um, I was being sold down the river on uh, somebody's sugar-coated words, but reality didn't look like that. They said this would take three months and it took seven months or, or something like that. And it was incredibly frustrating. So just understanding even though your social workers are there for you. Um, They're there to help you. Some of them, because they're so positive or so hopeful, uh, you just need to listen with like a grain of salt and don't take everything they say to be um, written in stone. But um, just they're they're human beings. Let it be written in in pencil and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. And they, a lot of social workers really want kids to be adopted, which I get. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to scare anybody away by certain realities. Um, but, you know, sometimes you as the adoptive parent have to 
question things more, take things a little further. Well, is it possible that it could take longer? Is it possible that this could happen or that could happen? And that can kind of lead you in a direction of understanding some more realities. Yeah. Yeah, ask tons and tons of questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Uh, as far as my expectations, I talk about this a lot on the show, but the trauma expectation and the grief expectation I had for Saja was definitely different. Um, I had a lot of, I, you know, I read all the trauma books. I talked to all the people, but I still, there was a part of me that thought, oh, this, it won't be like this for us just because of certain circumstances. And so understanding how important trauma education and trauma training is, uh, is a huge thing that I've learned from our experience. Okay, here's a question. I'm going to jump down a little bit. How long did it take for Saja to feel completely comfortable with you? That's this is an awesome question. Um, this is definitely a process too. I'll mm-hmm. I'll take this one first. Uh, for me, there was some physical touch moments. So our son is really he doesn't express uh, like physical intimacy a lot. He's not the most touchy feely cuddly kid. He can be early in the morning and like late at night, right before bed, and when he's real sleepy. He's he's more of just a, a rough, tough, push you around. Uh, type of kid resists like he'll push you away when you come in for kisses and hugs sometimes Um, but but I remember a couple moments where I just felt like he was so comfortable with me and things that that like no one I've never had experiences I've never had with anybody in my life so I've had I have a dry skin condition and my skin can kind of be a little bit peely sometimes like if you were to have a sunburn and um, I remember just him him laying on me and scratching on my skin a little bit. And I know that sounds a little bit gross and weird, but just it was a closeness that was really special to me. And I think that started to happen about three months into our um, our journey with him, which is when a lot of stuff shifted, three to four months emotionally, um, attachment-wise. So, yeah, I think it was we were home about three to four months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time Saja fell asleep on top of me. I was like, I could tell that like there was a trust there and there was a, a comfortability there that was new. And so I would say, yeah, about about that three-month mark for mm-hmm. me too. It was different for me and Anthony. Uh, Saja initially was much more comfortable with Anthony. And so yeah. it took our relationship a little bit longer um, as far as some some closeness yeah, and even I would say this, um, even in those that first little season, he would cling to us if we did something in public or we went we went out somewhere. But it wasn't like a intimate clinging. It was like a, I'm less afraid of you than I am of whoever else is around me right now. So there was like there was like physical interaction and closeness that that didn't feel intimate mm-hmm. um, during that time. But there you could just sense a change that happened. That kind of ties into the next question. Did you do cocooning how long? Uh, we did like six weeks. Well, let's say this. We got home <laughs> We got home from the airport and my parents were there like two hours later to yeah. do a quick like meet the grandson and say hello. And they then, live out of town and so it was yeah, just a, they were, like were only there a day. A few hours away. And then uh, like two weeks into it, your parents were there for a week. Yeah, we cocooned, but also we... We opened up the interaction to um, grandparents, only grandparents, no friends, no cousins, no aunts and uncles or anybody. 
But um, yeah. And still with them, they didn't do feeding. They didn't do changing. They didn't do nap time. Like it, all those intimate, they didn't do bath time. All those intimate moments we kept for us. Yeah. So it was just parents, me and Candace and our cat. And we did a lot of exploring our house, every nook and cranny, um, establishing routines, uh, working out like what he liked to eat and um, what was fun. And so I got, uh, I was off work for a week after we got home, uh, after being in Korea for a week. And so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that cocoon season that I, I would have to leave the home for and just cherish those morning and evening times. Yeah, so we didn't do anybody, any friends or anybody really until about six weeks we started to invite a couple people at a time over. The first time we did a public outing, I held, I kept him in the carrier the whole time. I came in late, left early. So there was, people could kind of see him from afar, but I had that, I was protecting him and that I had them in the carrier. Nobody could touch him, really get too close to him, or they'd have to be in my face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he kind of helped us with that because he did not want to be around. He was really resistant to any new people coming in. So if people got too close, he'd start kicking. So <laughs> they got the hint. But yeah, I really cherish those cocooning days. It really helped. I definitely recommend doing that. Yeah, we needed them too because they were hard. I mean, he was attaching and they weren't they weren't the easiest times. Yeah, in in our cocooning season, a couple of rough things happened that we just we just needed to be down for. Um, and one was Saja got hand, foot, and mouth disease almost immediately after we got home. I think he exposed to those new germs yeah. in a new environment, and it just hit him immediately. And also, um, he he was like sixteen months old when he came home, and he was like in this walking from thing to thing phase but he was still tumbling around a lot and we have a hardwood floor in our living room and he bumped into the piano and just fell flat over like like a tree like timber didn't put his hands down to stop him or anything and I was like two feet away but I didn't catch him in time and he knocked a tooth out so in our first month of being parents our kid got hand foot and mouth disease and lost a tooth one of his front teeth yay um so we were like, we were feeling like failures in the par- in some parenting ways. But um, that was the as rough as it's been in the last <laughs> couple years. So We went through all the tough stuff right at the beginning. Okay, next question. Did Saja eat Korean food only for the first few days, weeks after coming to the U.S.? And I'll kind of expand this into like language and, and stuff too to cover that because I get some questions about that. We Saja was kind of resistant, honestly, to speaking Korean. We learned some Korean words. And he had, I think, two Korean. He was saying two Korean words. He was saying like three or four, or three. yeah. But he wouldn't, once we got to the U.S., would not say them, would not respond to them. In Korea, he was speaking them to us. Like mm-hmm. he was calling us mom and dad, um, Oma and Appa, and he was saying ball and saying a couple things. And then we would try to use the that terminology, and he just dropped it. Wouldn't yep. speak a word of Korean. It was really strange. So every kid's definitely different. I would say like prepare for prepare for them to need to lean on some of their cultural uh, things. But I have heard that before, that a lot of kids just resist it. They need to disassociate with some of that stuff. So just be ready to roll roll with the punches there. And Saja was still, like, on a bottle and only eating rice, so. Yeah, he ate these puffs, these, like, Korean puff things. Mm -hmm. And he ate seaweed 
Yeah, still uh, does. <laughs> he loves seaweed so much. But really that's, I mean, he loves noodles, loves rice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just is a really open eater and yeah. that wasn't a struggle for us at all. Sleeping and eating, he was he was real solid on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we kept those, like the, that was his staple food for a while and then we slowly brought in other foods and like Anthony said he was like super open to trying new stuff so that was pretty easy for us all right one final question uh since we have a dad on the show what do you say to dads who are hesitant about adoption foster care I would say that if there is an interest in your heart um towards being a father uh through adoption or through foster care I think that that's in your heart for a reason. Um, and I, I also think if God's leading to you towards the ministry of fatherhood or parenthood, he's going to put the courage, the patience, the self-discipline. Um, he'll grow your empathy, help you help you love your kids. And you just got to stay faithful to those convictions. And um, it won't be easy. It's a lot of dying to yourself and your own desires. But I, I think that is in your heart for a reason and you should pursue it. There's so much purpose in it. If you had a bad father, if you had someone that wasn't encouraging to you or edifying to you, somebody that, that put you down and limited to you, and that's an experience that I, I, you know, I don't wish on anyone. But at the same time, if you have a good father who loves you and supports you, um, it is life-changing. Your, uh, your insecurity, your anger, some of the issues that go along with like um, living a fatherless life um, just dissipate. And so I would encourage you, there's a kid out there that needs that needs you and if god's putting it in your heart it's there for a reason so pursue it uh don't be afraid take heart take courage and go after it you can do it awesome well thank you so much anthony for being on the show yeah it was really great to be here so proud of you and all you're doing to resource people and educate people um and thank you to people for sending in questions i i do see a lot of the social media interactions that come through just because our accounts are linked and i love all the comments and all the the messages that come through take it easy talk to you soon thank you guys for sending in those questions and that is a wrap for season three what an awesome season with some incredible guests and i've gotten to know so many of you who found the show and heard your adoption stories which is what i love so much we're going to take a couple months break and prep for season four and in the meantime we're going to be making some announcements unveiling some new exciting things for the show so if you are not already please go follow us on Instagram at Adoption Hacks. That's where you'll find all our news. We're going to be doing some special things over the break too through there. So stay tuned with us through that. Thank you guys so much for listening, following, supporting, giving us those iTunes reviews. This show is so fun to do and I love being able to connect with all of you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon.